Bethlehem. Dark. Quiet. A resting town. Once bustling, now still. An innkeeper's stable. Once calm, now astir. The tender cry of a newborn has pierced through the hush. Around a makeshift cradle, a small audience of witnesses gaze upon the baby boy with awe and wonder. This humble infant is the fulfillment of a centuries-old promise. The longed-for Savior is here. Emmanuel is indeed among them. Love has come. Bound in swaddling clothes, nestled inside this rugged manger, lies a human who one day will shake the earth to demonstrate the boundless love of the Creator. Secured to a plank atop a hill, Jesus would become the gift we needed most, yet could never earn. This Son is the exact expression of the Father's love, the radiance of His glory, the embodiment of His light. Hope, joy, peace, and love emanate from Him like rays, beaming forth and resting within human hearts. He is our hope, the fulfillment of promises, our assurance in His trustworthy nature. He is our joy, an unchanging bright light, the object of our affections, even in the darkest of circumstances. He is our peace, a present God, bringing us stillness, calm, and confidence. He is our love, the ultimate display of the Father's heart, paying the price for our betrayal. Because of the sacrifice Jesus would make, we carry His perfect light out into the world. With the same eyes of awe and wonder, co-witnesses to all that God has done, may our hearts kneel at His manger. Let us look not to gifts of things, but let us turn our attention to the one who is the gift Himself, Jesus. Just as the light of His birth broke through the darkness of humanity's waiting, His light daily breaks through the boundless darkness of this weary world. Jesus is the one and only light of the world. Woo! Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I mean, here it is, Christmas Eve. I'm so excited, and tomorrow's the big day. Kids, how many of you guys are excited? I, I, I mean, I feel like that's a little, like, medium. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's a big day. And, and what a joy it is that we get to gather up here together on Christmas Eve to prepare our hearts and our minds to set ourselves on the right trajectory as we enter this day tomorrow that we are to celebrate the extraordinary reality that Jesus came to this planet, that he gave his life, 
that he died, that he rose from the dead, and that he ascended into heaven so that he could redeem our stories, save our souls, and give us eternal life, right? I mean, that's a really big deal. And it's an amazing thing that we get to walk into the day tomorrow to celebrate the extent of his love toward us in his coming and in all that he did for us in order that we might have life. And so it's a really, really big day. And yet as we enter the day tomorrow, we enter the part of the story of God's full redemption and the extent of his love at the beginning of it, at his birth, at the entry into this world and onto this planet. And so we kind of circle around tonight as we prepare for tomorrow that little scene. And it's not a scene that's unfamiliar because it plays into all of the Christmas season, the scene of the manger, right? I mean, that, that manger scene, the nativity scene, it is as intrinsically tied to Christmas as anything we can imagine. It really doesn't matter really if you're religious or not. It's everywhere because it's kind of what Christmas revolves around is this nativity scene, this birth of this child. And so it makes sense that the nativity scene would be the central fixture, the central picture of what Christmas is about and what we are now going to circle around. But I have been thinking quite a bit about this particular scene and about the particular nature of where Jesus decided to be born, that it was in this stable, this cave with these animals in this particular night late as he arrived. It it's something that I don't think we think a ton about. I mean, obviously we've talked about it. You've heard sermons about it. Like the nature of the lowliness of the manger and that Jesus came into the manger and the, and the cave, the, the barn, to demonstrate to us his humility, his servanthood toward us, his, his approachability, his relatability. And all of those things would be true because they are true. He did all of that. But I started thinking, why would God have gone to this level of an extent to get that low? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, just think about this for a second. They get into Bethlehem. It's, it's a little town, a little ways outside of Jerusalem. Uh, it's been a long couple of days and weeks of travel with Mary at the end of her pregnancy. They get to town and all they want is just a room in one of the houses that is for rent for the night or for a couple of nights, okay? So I ask you, if God opened up the door for Jesus to be born in a little room in the side of somebody's house, I don't know that that would have undone lowliness. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know that I'm like, oh, oh it's too much. It's too much. I mean, he's in, a, he's in an actual house. He's in an actual room being born in an actual house. Oh my gosh, he's no longer humble. No. Like, I'm like, God, you're the God of the universe. You just make some humans disappear and the house is available. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it wouldn't have been difficult. So why, why go to the extent of, of, of moving into this very, very seemingly just not great place? I mean, when I think about it, you could even take it a little further. Without undoing accessibility, approachability, humility. Uh, what if instead of being born in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the great palace, right? I would think that at the point that Mary became pregnant with Jesus, 
This is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the single most important reality of birth ever in the history of mankind, the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for all of their lives. You would think that the angels might have shown up at some of the priests in the temple in Jerusalem and said, hey, just FYI, in Nazareth, there's a young lady, she's pregnant, she's carrying the Messiah. You should go get her and Joseph and bring them to the temple and just keep them safe. The temple wasn't like uh, some incredibly amazing, it was, a, it was a place where you could come and you could have a simple life. They didn't have to make it a big deal, but like, this is the Messiah. Like you bring him there, you keep him safe. And then when he's born, I'm not saying that you have to have like a big giant entourage of like the king has come, but it does feel a little bit like this one. If you just gathered some of the Jewish people and you told them, hey, the Messiah is born, you know the Lion King? Remember the Lion King kids? The Lion King scene where, where uh, Rafiki takes uh, Simba and he's like, the king is born. And then all the animals are like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like just a, a mini version of that scene. You know, I'm not saying like the world had to know, but would it have really taken away from the beauty and simplicity of Jesus if uh, uh, the angels had told kind of a bunch of Jewish people to show up in Jerusalem the night of his birth and the next morning, Simeon maybe came out, the priest, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And he's wrapped in the same cloth. And so we, we cover all the prophecies. Like I look at all that and I just think, think to myself, it, it wouldn't take away the beauty and simplicity of Jesus if it was a little bit more like in the temple and a little bit more like a little more up. So why? Why the manger? Why, why this crazy place? And the more I've dug into that and the more I've explored that, the more I am beginning to discover that where Jesus decided to be born and how he decided to enter this planet in that space on that night in this particular level of lowliness is as much an act of his love and a display and demonstration of his love toward us as people as the fact that he even came and the fact that he will die and rise from the dead. That how he came and where he showed up is in of itself a display of how he is meeting us and loving us well. So the scene of the manger, the nativity scene, is in fact a declaration of an extraordinary, expansive love toward us. What do I mean by that? So in the Old Testament, and really throughout Scripture, but mostly in the Old Testament, uh, names were given to God as humanity continued to progressively discover the nature of God. So as time went on, these names would be given to God. But the names given to God were most often, almost exclusively, names that were extraordinarily lofty, big and giant. You have names like Elohim, the, the eternal one. I mean, that's a big deal. You know, when you hear like, we are human, he is Elohim. You don't go, oh, we're the same. Like, we're the same. You're like, oh, got it, got it. <laughs> He's up here. We're down here, right? You have names like Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. You don't go, oh, yeah, we're the same. Like it's, oh, there's something other in that. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner, the banner over us, our victory, our protector. Jehovah 
uh, Jireh, the Lord, our provider. All of these words were words that set him apart from us, that described his loftiness. Jehovah, Mekodishkem, which means the Lord that sanctifies or makes holy, the one who sets apart. These are big names of a big God, like language, trying to capture the essence of God, but feeling inadequate to be able to do it. And so when we experience God throughout the Old Testament, the names describe his untouchable nature, his unattainability, his unrivaled power. And that's how we experience God. Are you glad he's not like us? It's not a trick question. (laughs) That should be like a solid yes. Because if he's like us, we're dead, right? It's like I'm for one glad that this is who the God is that I serve. Are you glad he is unrivaled? Are you glad he is healer, that he is banner, that he is over us, that he is sanctifier? Yes, so am I. This is the one we serve, the, the one we hail as king. And then this super crazy thing happens. In the book of Isaiah, um, Isaiah is hanging out with this guy uh, called uh, Azar and uh, um, uh, Ahaz, I'm sorry, Ahaz. And Ahaz uh, is with the people of God in this war and they're trying to figure out whether God is with them because it's gotten exhausting and tiring. And so in Isaiah chapter seven, Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says to him, you should ask God for a sign so that you'll know he's with you. So God tells Isaiah to tell Ahaz this. So it says, the word of the Lord came to Ahaz and said, ask God for a sign that he's with you. And Ahaz goes, no, that's okay. I'm not going to ask for that because we're pretty exhausted fighting. And I'm pretty sure God's exhausted too fighting with us. And I don't want to bother him with like a sign. It's kind of a weird moment. And so Isaiah says to Ahaz, well, Uh, Good news, you don't have to ask for a sign because he's going to give you one anyway. (laughs) I love that. And and something happens in that moment that you've heard probably if you've been around church at all. You're going to be very familiar with what I'm going to say next. You just didn't know it was in this context right here in this conversation with Ahaz. Like, ask for a sign. I don't want to. He must be tired. No, you really should. He's going to give it to you anyways. And then Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 7. He says this. And the Lord will give you a sign. You ready? There will be a virgin who will conceive a son and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which is the the Hebrew version of God with us. So that's where that verse shows up. Can you believe it? Like we need a sign that God's with us. I don't want to ask. He seems tired. He's going to tell you anyways. There's going to be a child born at some point from a virgin, and this child will be called God with us. For the rest of the Old Testament, rightly, the people wondered what this meant. What does it mean that God is going to be with us? What does it mean that there's going to be a child born called God with us? What does it mean that God is with us? Is he like watching over us? Is he like empowering us to war? What does it mean? God with us. What a mystery. It's something we ought to wonder about. What does it mean that God is in fact with us? Does it mean you're doing your life and he's kind of watching over? He's kind of available when you need him? Like, hey, need some help here. Oh, I'm with you. What does this mean? And then it happens. The, the, the strangest thing. 
the thing that we now circle around. On a particular set of weeks, there is a woman who fell pregnant who is a virgin, and she conceives a child and bears that child, and they travel to a little town called Bethlehem. And they get to Bethlehem on one particular night, and this child, just like Isaiah said, a sign that God is with us, is born. But where and how he's born is what's so fantastical. He is born in a little cave surrounded by straw and smelly animals and manure, legit, and he's with two humans that are two young people totally frightened and totally in over their heads. And you're like, what do you mean? Just FYI, the scene in the manger, Mary was not in a blue dress with a halo over her head, sitting holding the statue Jesus, with Joseph standing confidently over her going, this is my wife. And Joseph did not, right before the birth, say, be born. Like this was two actual humans, one pregnant, going into labor, stuck in a cave, and Joseph going, what do I do? Have you ever birthed a child? You're like, no. Why would I do that? We drive to the hospital where professionals know what they're doing. Why do we feel that way? Because it's a crazy thing. And Joseph and Mary hadn't had seven children at this point. This wasn't like, oh, we've done this before. They are not with their family, not with her parents, not with Joseph's parents in Bethlehem, a place they're unfamiliar with, in a little dump behind a house where the animals reside. And Joseph's like, what do I do? They were two young people, totally frightened, totally overwhelmed. And then on top of that, a bunch of legitimate strangers that are unkept and smelly show up in the middle of that like, hi, sorry. Like we were kind of out in the fields, like minding our own business. And then there's this angels and then glory to God and then go see Jesus. And so we came and here you are. And are we, are we okay? Can you imagine like this place? Here's some strangers, unkept and smelly, animals, straw, manure, and overwhelmed humans. Do you know what that little room feels like to me? The more I sit in it? It, it feels like the most extraordinary in every detail, so deeply human place. I, it's like staring into our humanity. A messy, smelly, manure-filled place with people that feel frightened and overwhelmed most of the time, not quite sure what they're doing, but hoping it turns out well, and a bunch of unkept strangers showing up randomly. And I'm like, that's like my life! Like, in some ways, I look and I'm like, that's how we feel, isn't it? That's so human, so raw, so us, so our world, so where we live. It's like Jesus went, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to design a little place that when I show up, there's no part of that place that you can't go, yep, that's pretty much me. And I'm going to show up right in the middle of that place. And I'm going to show up there intentionally when I could show up anywhere else. Why? Why would I show up in that place? Why is that showing up in that place that is so human, in my estimation, an extensive and extraordinary expansion of God's love toward us. 
a couple of months ago, you guys may remember if you were here, that when I came back from my sabbatical time, I shared a message of the thing that perhaps was most profound to me in my journey. And that is that I experienced more deeply than before what it meant that God sees me. And when I shared about that, I shared about a name given to God in the early part of the Old Testament, very early on. It's one of the first names given by a person's encounter with God. And it is given to God by a woman named Hagar who left Abraham and Sarah's house in a predicament that was overwhelming and thought she was cast out and had to depart. She was alone, scared, lonely, and not sure what to do. And God shows up and meets her and has a conversation with her. And when that conversation is over, she feels his with her so deeply, his seeing her predicament so profoundly that she gives him the name El Roy, which is the God who sees. And what I shared with you guys, that particular message, was that one of the things that I am discovering is that God is this wondrous creator that creates us as human beings with particular needs, and then he is the one that fulfills our needs. So he created us with a profound need to be known, to be seen. When we are not known and we are not seen, we feel undone, unraveled, alone and scared. He makes us a people that need to be known and seen, and then he becomes the one who sees us. It's beautiful. And this scene in this nativity, this manger, is the other extraordinary part to the way he designed us with need and then met that need. At the beginning of the Old Testament, he gives himself a name through Hagar, I am the God who sees, a name that feels very much here with us, right? Then between that and the coming of Jesus, he gives himself names like the eternal one, the healer, the protector, the, the, the sanctifier, and you're like, woo-hoo-hoo. And then at the end of that, the end of the Old Testament, he circles right back and he gives himself the name Emmanuel. I am with you. What does this mean? I am beginning to discover that just as God made me and you as humans with a profound need to be known and to be seen, he also made us with a profound need for withness. You're like, what? What did you just say? It's not actually a word. FYI, check the dictionary. I typed it in, witness. And they're like, this is not a word. Did you mean witness? And I'm like, no, I did not mean witness. I meant withness. Thank you very much. And the dictionary was like, I don't know what to do with that. But it doesn't matter because I'm owning that word right now, right here. Withness. I was created as you were with a deep and profound need for withness. How do I know? When a child is born and is separated from their parent at a very young age and taken from them, we call that attachment trauma. The word trauma is attached to that because we as humans, when we are pulled from the person that's supposed to be with us, it actually wounds us. That's a big deal, right? And then as children, you see this all the time. When small children feel anything that feels off, what do they need? They need their parents. So then what do they do? They run to their parent and grab their leg and they're like, danger, danger. 
Because what they know is, I don't need something, I need someone to be with me and for me to be with. When a child becomes afraid uh, of the dark and they wake up at night, what do they do? What are they longing for? Withness. They want someone with them, so they go to their parents' room, and what do they want their parent to do? Go back to your room, be alone. Oh, this is crazy. No, what they want is, can I stay here, or can you come with me? Because we are designed to feel most okay when we are known and when someone is with us. This doesn't change into our adulthood. Every scene you know, every experience you've probably had, when something wonderful happens, something amazing, your great accomplishments, your birthing of a child, your getting married, what do we want? We want people to come and be with us. We don't want to be alone. Like COVID was weird, wasn't it? Like I'm doing a wedding. Hi, love you. We're the other people, don't know. Like it felt not right. When you watch somebody go into their hard spaces. Now you know how deeply we need witness. You know that scene that you've probably lived uh, and certainly seen the movies where you're wheeling the person in for surgery, you know? And you get to those two doors and they're gonna open and what's about to happen? There's gonna be a separation for a second and what do you say? I'm, I'm right here with you. Oh, I'll, be right, I'll be right here with you. Because we need to know somebody is with us. The nurses I spoke to over the COVID season when people were struggling in the hospital, uh, their biggest work became just being with people because people couldn't have others with them. When a soldier is dying on the battlefield, they just want someone, doesn't matter who, to grab their hand and say, I'm right here with you. We are a people, a race that was made to need witness. And imagine a God who would create us with the need for witness, and then in his coming to this planet to do a great redemptive work of living, dying, and rising from the dead and ascending to heaven to give us eternal life, that would be love enough, that would be big enough, that would be plenty enough. But instead of just doing that, he goes, no, 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 no. I'm not just giving you a future. I'm showing up in your present, and I'm going to show up in such a way that you cannot ever doubt again that I'm right here with you in your manure, in your stinky animal hay, in your overwhelmed, uncertain, frightened, over and in over your head space. This little manger scene that we stare into each Christmas, it certainly tells us that Jesus is accessible and that Jesus is approachable and that Jesus is humble and that Jesus is a servant. It certainly tells us that Jesus became flesh. It reminds us that Jesus rose, died and rose from the dead to save us. It is a giant reminder of all the ways that Jesus demonstrated his love toward us. But it is also in of itself one of the massive displays of his love. Because it is the one place where in profound ways Jesus chose the craziest place to be born so that the raw humanity of that place would become a voice that he could shout to us every day saying, if you ever wonder and you're sitting in that dark room and your family's asleep and the bills outweigh the income and you can't figure out how to make it work and you're overwhelmed, I am right there 
with you. And when you are in a relationship that is tearing apart and breaking down and you can't figure out how to make it all okay, I am right there with you. And when you get a diagnosis that is in over your head and more than you can bear, I am right there with you. When you are in the manure of life and you are overwhelmed and frightened and don't know what to do, I am right here with you. This is the profound nature of the nativity scene. Not just that he became flesh, but he showed up in a place that would remind us every day, every year, that he is right here with us. Jesus often through scripture reminds us that in our darkest, hardest, most difficult moments, that that is not our story. That our story is bigger than that. That he is up to bigger things than that. That he will give us a better story. That is scripture. The advent is that. He is the one that gives us hope and he gives us joy and he gives us peace. His entire story is about a progressive growing of those things and an eternal reality of them. But he is not a God who says, you're down there in your mess. Don't worry, it'll get better. And when you get here to where I am, I will show you that. He certainly is that for us, but he's more than that. He's also the one that came right down into our mess and said, we will see a bigger story soon and you will be blown away. But while you can't see the bigger story and you're right here in the middle of your mess, guess where I am? I am right here with you. The nativity scene is God's reminder to us every time of his witness with us. So tomorrow, as you enter the day, I don't know what your day holds. Maybe your day is one full of celebration. Maybe the gifts you've been longing for your entire life are about to come a reality tomorrow. Maybe it's the best Christmas you've ever had. Maybe the meal will be better than you've ever tasted. Maybe finally the family that's showing up is the one you like. I don't know. It's going to be awesome. And in the middle of all that wonder, I hope that you will find a nativity scene here and there in your house or the house that you're at and walk over to it every now and then and lean in and just let it whisper to you, I am right here. It's not a trick. It's not a I am right here with you. Maybe this Christmas isn't that one for you. Maybe this one has lost tied to it or pain tied to it, or struggle tied to it, or grief tied to it. Maybe this one is hard. Maybe you're not looking forward to tomorrow. Maybe the, the bank account is empty, and maybe this is a tough one for you. Maybe you've got news that was hard. I don't know. And so maybe tomorrow, while everybody else seems to be having a blast, you're going to struggle, struggle to find a place where you can be okay. And I hope for you, you'll walk over to a nativity scene here and there and lean in and as the tears quietly fill your eyes, you'll hear that nativity scene whisper to you, God's voice saying, I know it's hard, but I'm right here with you. And I will show you sometime soon how beautiful this story gets. But while you cannot see that now, I'm right here with you. In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes these words, and they are beautiful and they are far more expansive than just the nativity scene, but they include the nativity scene. Listen to this. Verse 14 of chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, tested, and suffered as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We serve a God who showed up in a place like that cave with those animals because He wanted to make absolutely certain that you and I would know that He's not just showing up on planet earth to do a great redemptive work, which He did, but He's showing up on planet earth to be able to grab our hand in the dark and say, I'm right here with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, your love is certainly bigger than we can fathom. It is more extensive than we can fathom. It includes the beauty of you creating us and preserving us, you coming and becoming flesh on our behalf, living for us, dying for us, rising from the dead for us, giving us your spirit, empowering us, giving us eternal life. God, the extensive, expansive nature of your love is more than we can possibly fathom. And we just want to tell you how grateful we are that as we stand here again, we find another layer of depth to your love, another breadth to your love, another height to your love, that you not only did all those things, but in the midst of them chose a stable instead of a room in an inn, instead of a temple, instead of a palace, not just to demonstrate your humility, not just to demonstrate your lowliness, not just to make yourself accessible to us, but to actually show up in the rawest, purest form of our humanity and to say, I'm right here with you, Emmanuel. God, we stand in this place in awe of how deep your love runs, how wide it is, how high it goes, how much it meets us where we need to be met, that you would make us a people that need to be seen and need to have witness, and that you would become the God who sees and the God who is with us is unthinkable and beautiful. And so we come before you now and we hail you, King, and we hail you, Lord, and we rejoice because of all that you have done for us and all that you are for us, even as we sit in the profound beauty, knowing that you are simply beautifully just with us. So God, we come. We come now to worship you and we come to declare to you and rejoice with you over who you are for us and what you've done for us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.